And that's the, that's the feeling of Advent. Like there's, there's still more to come. Like it shouldn't, it shouldn't end right there. Advent's a season that's filled with um, waiting. We hate to wait. And, and, and it's, it's filled with searching. A lot of you are uh, searching for the perfect menu for Christmas dinner, the, the perfect gift. Uh, well, if you're a guy, you've got a couple of weeks for that yet, but you're, you're, you're searching for a way to make this just the best Christmas ever. And so as we wait and we search, we're also choosing. We're, uh, we're making choices, not only about Christmas menus and how long to stay with the folks and what to get, but we're making choices about our king. And we have to make that choice again and again because choosing your king can easily go on autopilot and then you just accept whatever the world gives you. If you, if instead you think and wait and choose, you end up in a different place. So, the crowd listens, and, and a man who wants to be in charge stands up, and, and he's not very impressive at all. He's beanpole thin. He speaks with a hick accent. The story is that he suffered from depression. He, uh, he never finished third grade. He, he's more known for all the times he lost than anything he's really won. But he, he asks you to let him lead, and you hear that if you ask this person to lead, it's going to go to hell in a handbasket. Do you choose that person? Or, or do you want a leader as somebody who's not real tall but is actually quite short, and they're real intense and private, and anybody who spends time with this person says they don't speak much, you feel like you get the feeling this person is already thinking Three or four months ahead, they are a real leader. They're thinking about what's going to come, and, and they're nothing special until he starts to talk, and first a couple dozen, and then a couple hundred, and then a couple thousand people start to hear this leader say, it doesn't have to stay like this. I know we're in the pits. We're poor, and we're disgraced, and we've been beaten, but we can be not only who we were, we can be better than ever. And the thousands turn into ten thousands and hundreds of thousands because he inspires them. Which leader makes a difference? The first one is Abraham Lincoln, and the second one is Adolf Hitler. And you end up in very different places, so you need to choose carefully. You need to watch out for the flash or the spellbinder. You need to realize that if it's... uh, Sounds too good to be true. It's probably too good to be true. You need to realize that your choice of king changes everything. Some of you are in the process of choosing the king of Hallmark and others of you the king of Amazon. And and then you come here and we talk about choosing the king of heaven. We're busy choosing gifts and the king of heaven is coming home. We just prayed, thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done. The king of heaven is coming. He's coming home for a trip, and just like a good aunt or a mom or dad who's been on a trip, they bring gifts, and the king is coming bringing gifts. And so each week in Advent, we're talking about one of the gifts that this king brings. Even if it's a familiar word, it's different. So last week we talked about the gift of hope, and we said it's not optimism that things are going to get better. It's, it's better than that. And today, today we lit the candle of love. The king is bringing the gift of love to the world, but it's a different kind of love. I, I love my wife, but I also love pizza. But I also love the Chicago Bears. And, and if I get those loves confused, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> Somebody's not going to be happy. Love has a lot of different faces, doesn't it? We, we say we love and we act. There is the love rooted in emotion. There's the love that's all about romance. There's, there's the love that's about affection or common interest or history together. All those different faces of love show in the story, the, the story that Jesus talks about it, that Jordan was trying to explain to the kids. It's from Matthew's story about Jesus. It, it says, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, because it's on a hill. He was going up to Jerusalem, and on the way, he took the 12, his disciples, he took the 12 aside, and, and he said, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that's what Jesus calls himself, we're going up to Jerusalem, and I will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they'll condemn me to death, and they'll hand me over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and on the third day, I'll be raised back to life. So let's keep going. And the very, the very next words are, then the mother of Zebedee's sons, that is, the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they are two of the twelve. There's the twelve disciples, and then there's three that are sort of the inner core, the inner ring, and it's James and John and Peter. And James and John's mom comes, and it says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came. Now, usually then just means right away. Or it means, you know, the next thing I can remember, or the next thing worth mentioning. But in this case, in the story, when you see the word then, you should realize that this is part of a pattern. You see, this is not the first time that Jesus talks about going to Jerusalem to be killed. And that anybody who goes with him better be prepared for that. It actually happens three times. And it's the same pattern. Jesus tells them about this fate that's coming to him, and then the very next word after he says it is always the word then. And what happens is that Jesus talks about going down into the valley, and the disciples don't want any of it. They, then they say, oh no, never happened. Oh no, you're wrong. Oh no. And in this case, then comes again. They don't get that the most important thing is that Jesus has to go and suffer and die. They've, they forget. Have they, I mean, come on, Jesus has just preached to them. Not some preacher, but Jesus has just preached the Sermon on the Mount to them. They forget it already? We spent eight weeks talking about the Sermon on the Mount. You forget it already? Of course you did. 
That's who we are. We all forget. We have to be reminded. And so this is the reminder. It says, so then the mother of John and James came to Jesus with her sons. This is the original helicopter mom. What do you want, Jesus asked. And kneeling down, the mom asked Jesus a favor. Let one of my sons sit at your right and the other at your left when you come into your kingdom. What's interesting is the next phrase. It says, can you, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Not to the mom, but to the guys who have pushed mom to the front. What about mom? You ask him. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We'll talk more about the cup later, but it's the, it's the chalice of the king. It's a sign of power and privilege, but it's also a sign that the person carrying the cup has the duty to be the leader. And they said, sure we can. And Jesus answered, you will drink that cup, but for me to say who sits at my right and left, that's not for me. These places have been prepared by my Father. And so they go away, hmm. But when the other ten hear about it, they're thrilled for their brothers. No. It says when the other ten heard about it, they were indignant with John and James. And they were most angry because they didn't get there first. These two went first. And that's why it says Jesus called them all together. And he said, you know that the kings and queens of the Gentiles rule over everybody. And the powerful officials exercise authority. That's not the way with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be the servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as I did not come to be served, I came to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. A different kind of love. Less like the love of a Hallmark movie and more like the love of the parent of a teenager. And they just, they're not getting it. They need to hear it again and, and, and again. You see, the disciples have chosen their king, but they're trying to make the king in their own image. They're not trying to make their king Jesus like every other king they've ever known. If we attach ourselves to Jesus, we go to Jerusalem, he becomes king. We're princes and counts and dukes. We're in charge of all kinds of things. And Jesus says, not so much. But the disciples have chosen their king and they're trying to make their king act like a king. One of the authors I like says, the disciples here have gone from feeling superior because they're with Jesus. They're a little better than everybody else. They've gone from feeling superior, filled with pride, to seeking superiority. They don't want to be better than everybody else. They want to be the best. There's pride in feeling superiority, and then there's ambition in seeking superiority, and that makes us very hard to love those kinds of people. And it makes it very hard for people with pride and ambition to be loving uh, to others. You see, I think everybody in this room, every one of you wants to be loved. You want to believe that you are lovable, you are worthy of being loved. And, and frankly, you want to love other people too, but 
Pride and ambition are hardwired into the human heart. All of us. Sometimes our pride looks like fear. It's almost a reverse pride. Oh, no, I'm really the worst. They're proud of being the worst. Pride and ambition are hardwired into the human heart. So how does a leader... How does a leader break through pride and ambition that rule us all and infect our love to start to have a love that serves other people? Jesus talks about being the servant of all. Abraham Lincoln, that I talked about at the, at the beginning, defeated all his opponents and then drew all his opponents into him and brought them into the cabinet to create a team of rivals so that they would together feel like They had a place. But I I think the key was in that question Jesus asked, can you drink the cup? What's this with the cup? I I think the cup is the key. There's a British scholar, N.T. Wright, uh, that, that says that's the key to the whole kingship of Jesus. It's the inspiration for many, many stories. The, the cup of Jesus becomes the chalice of the Last Supper, right? He lifts the cup. The cup that is Jesus' blood poured into it becomes famous in its own. It becomes the core of the story, the legend of King Arthur. How did King Arthur deal with all the knights that wanted to be second in the realm? We call the story King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. In some ways, Arthur takes off his crown and sits at a round table, and all the others sit around him. And then at the end of the story, Arthur sends them out on a quest for the cup of Christ, knowing that only the people who are the most servant-like have any chance of finding it. Because King Arthur had uh, King Arthur had read the theology of Indiana Jones. <laughs> well, right? Indiana Jones knows you come in, you see 1,400 cups. Which is the right cup? Only the people who serve will recognize the cup. Because Jesus serves, and he suffers, and he asks those who want to follow him Can you drink this cup? Can you have the humility to accept the love of Jesus and not the power of Jesus? Can you have love so that you can serve others instead of loving others so that you look good? That's my great temptation. I want to look like a loving person. I want people to think I'm a loving person. Or some of us have learned to love so that we get 105% back. Jesus is saying, can you drink my cup? And the answer is no. They think they can, but none of the followers of Jesus can drink from the cup. None of them can love the way he loves until after Jesus has filled the cup for them. He fills the cup with love that rescues us. Love that makes us feel he would go to the ends of the earth just to find you and rescue you and give you love that will never let you go. And it's not until you have experienced 
that you have been loved by Jesus, that you are able to show that same love to anybody else. We talk about love all the time. And I, 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 we joke about Hallmark movies. I think they're wonderful stories. They're heartwarming. But, um, but real love, real love, especially even with the people closest to you, it's, it's hard and it, it's messy. Just this month, all these things have happened. Somebody's um, spouse has betrayed them with drugs and with a secret sexual life. So this person comes and says, I don't know how to trust or who to trust. Their, their love has broken. Somebody close to me lost a friend, a young man who killed himself after being rejected by his church when he came out as gay. I don't know all of what happened there, but in some way, the love of the church failed. There, there was a mom, a mom living around here whose, whose daughter was in an abusive marriage and she decided to leave him. And uh, right at Thanksgiving, she was divorcing him, leaving him, coming back to the Twin Cities. And right before she comes back to the Twin Cities, the young man kills her daughter. Love, it, it's not usually dramatic, is it? Messy love, broken love, it's not usually dramatic. There's, there's a mom who admitted to me in the great room that she's just not looking forward to seeing her son at all in the holidays because all they ever seem to do is fight. I, I talked to a dad the other day who feels like his kids just want him for what they can get. And so love is hard. Can you drink this cup? I don't think I can love Jesus. I don't think I can love those people the way that, that you do. And I, can I just tell you, it's not about them. This isn't a you sermon. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to, to myself. I feel like I fail every day as a lover of the people that God puts in front of me because my pride gets in the way. And my ambition to be seen as wise or lovable or faithful or whatever, the mostest, it, it gets in the way. I can't love and be loved the way that I want. Sometimes I can go several hours pretty well. But that love is not the way that Jesus seems to love. The power of Christmas, the power of waiting for the Christmas King, is it's a source of hope. Christmas is hope for me. Because Jesus loves us before we're lovable. Jesus loves the mom who wants her sons to be the vice president. Jesus loves us before we're lovable. He loves the disciples when they're stupid. He loves his enemies when they hurt him. He loves all the followers who are just coming for the food or to look good in church, to feel like they're religious. And, and Jesus loves people that seek him. And he loves me. And he loves you. 
So with, with that Jesus love, there's a sense of forgiveness. I don't have to pretend. There, there is a, an increasing sense that I don't get a second chance with this person that I'm loving. I get a 333rd chance because it never gives up. When I look at this love, the profound difference between Jesus and me is that Jesus is everybody who comes to be nobody, and I'm nobody, and I want to be everybody. And so this love teaches me about humility. And maybe at the root of this love that comes out of the cup that Jesus pours, maybe at the root of this is the word apology. Now that, that may be a, a foreign concept to many of you men, uh, but apology is hard for us, isn't it? Our, our, the joke in our house is that the best words you can ever hear are, honey, you were right, and I was... I'll talk to you later. You were right, and I was wrong which frees us up to go to, to a new place and always, always that's hard for me. I always have to ask Jesus to love me just a little more so that I can maybe love them a little bit better. Jesus comes for every single one of us. He comes first to rescue us to love us with love that will not let us go, to stay all the way with us and then to show us again and again and again and again and again how to love just a little bit better. You know, sometimes we talk about love too much and, and sometimes it's more helpful to actually see it. And this week, I had the privilege for about 90 seconds of seeing what love could look like, and I'd, I'd like to share it with you. Inspired his last words, words of love. Sitting with us was someone the president liked to call his little brother, James Baker, and his wife, Susan. As I said, there have been wonderful hugs and kind words throughout the day, kisses throughout the day. Toward the end, Secretary Baker and I were sitting on a sofa next to one another a few steps away, and he whispered to me, you know, that man changed my life. A bit later, Secretary Baker was at the foot of the president's bed. And toward the end, Jim Baker rubbed and stroked the president's feet for perhaps half an hour. The president smiled at the comfort of his dear friend. Here I witnessed a world leader who was serving, a servant who had been our world's leader. And what came to mind was Jesus. On that last night before his own crucifixion, having said everything there was to say, he wrapped a towel around his waist and without words, he washed his disciples' feet. As Jesus finished, he said, I've set an example for you. Do as I have done. Serve one another. By this, the world will know you're my disciples if you serve and if you love one another. I like to think that there's a little of that for you ahead on the road. And for me. 
But I got to tell you, I am positive it will not happen because I suck it up and try to be a better lover. I think the only way that I can learn to love like a servant is if I turn to the servant king. And I say, love me again, please. And I feel accepted and loved and worthwhile, so I don't have to be the best person. I can just be beloved. And out of that, I can turn back and try again. I think what we just saw is that those who follow the king slowly, over time, those who follow the king start to love like the king. And wouldn't that make all the difference? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've been with us and that once again, at least for me, you have uh, comforted the afflicted and you have afflicted the comfortable. So I ask you to be with my friends here who are trying to be good people and wanting to have a great Christmas and and still learning to love each other. I pray that you will offer us the gift of your love that will not let us go and that will change us so that as the beloved children of God, we, we can serve those around us, the ones who love us and the ones who do not love us back. And that down the road, we will look back to this Christmas and feel like we have become lovers more like the King of Heaven. Come to earth. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.